Hello, and welcome to the My Messy Church podcast. Each week, we'll be going through your questions from the weekend services and doing our best to present answers from a biblical perspective. If you haven't yet listened to the weekend sermon, I want to encourage you to head over to curtislake.org backslash media for context of what we will be discussing today. We love getting your questions and cannot wait to grow together. So without further ado, let's dive into My Messy Church. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the My Messy Church podcast. Um, Thanks for joining us. Uh, today, I actually have a special guest. Uh, normally, she's out in the back room producing, uh, but she preached this past Sunday. So Shane is going to join us, and I'm just going to basically kind of sit here and listen. Um, so <laughs> Shane, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to listen to the message. I mean, I, I listened to as much of it as I could, and then I had to turn it off, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the, the bit that I did hear of it uh, before my internet connection seemed to go wonky, um, sounded like things were going well. Uh, but anyway, thanks for that. Yeah. For those of you that didn't know, I was at Niagara Falls, which looked slightly more fun than being here. Wow, that's really sad. <laughs> Not for me. We had a blast here, but it looked like oh, you were having fun. We did have fun. Uh, it, the The weather looked like it was going to be pretty tough. Um, a little bit of the time that we were there, it was, but uh, it turned out actually to be pretty nice. And so. Yeah. I, I saw one of the pictures that Renee posted and I was like, oh, they look like little high school sweethearts. And I was like, oh, yeah, you are. Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. Renee took, made me take about a thousand like selfie style pictures. Your favorite. Over the course of the day. So, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> but all right. Anyway, um, I don't know what went wrong on Sunday, but there's only four questions. <laughs> Apparently, I explain things really, really well. Right, must be the you know, opposite. Of, that's it. <laughs> I, 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 when I when I talk, apparently there's so such a lack of clarity. Yeah, people are like, what? Yeah. Um, anyway, so we have four questions. That doesn't mean that this is going to be any less than an hour. Like I. Well, it is both of us speaking. So. All right. Well, I'll, I'll try to mostly be quiet. But um, all right. So the first question is how large was the Corinthian church? Were they feeling full of themselves because they'd gained a measure of influence outside the church uh, or just how they were? Um, so maybe you could, do you know where this kind of, this question's coming from? Uh, yeah. So we talked about in first Corinthians one twenty six how Paul says, remember who you were. Right. And so not many of you were awesome is basically what he's saying. And so I think this probably came out of just looking at the Corinthian church and how it's similar to our church today in that, you know, we're just humans, we're normal people, um, but God invites us to do what he's doing. And so I think just, uh, I had talked about, he called them to remember in a call to humility because they'd begun to get a chip on their shoulder. Like they were really cool because they were being used by God. And so Paul was calling them to humility. Um, as far as how large the church in Corinth was, uh, I think we've talked about this a little bit, but there was more likely house churches, right, that um, kind of popped up throughout the community. And so I always thought that was interesting that Paul's writing this letter to the church in Corinth, but it's really m- they're meeting in several locations. Um, so from my research, and you can totally correct me, it was probably like 50 to 150 people um, is what it you know, what I kind of found. So not super large, but at that time, we have to remember this is when the church was just starting. Hmm. So that's actually a decent amount of people on board for the same thing. Yeah, I think that there's a tenant because 
a pretty long letter, right? First Corinthians is a pretty long letter. Second Corinthians, a follow-up letter. And we know that there was other correspondence that was going on between Paul and the Corinthian church. And so I think there's a tendency to think that this was something really, really big, you know, yeah. almost, um, you know, like if you visited the city of Corinth, then you had to go see this church, right? Cause it's like the centerpiece of all things Corinth. And the reality is it most likely wasn't that, um, how big was it exactly? I mean, we just, we don't really have any information, uh, on that, but I think that while you do have these, um, you know, when the, 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 sorry, the, the, the story of like the birth of the church, uh, on Pentecost, you have, you have Peter preaching the sermon and, and the text tells us that, that what 3000 were added to the number of disciples that day, right? Like that's a, that is quite the response. It's decently significant. It, yeah. Very similar <laughs> to a Sunday morning here. Yeah. I meant to tell you that's what happened this week. <laughs> yeah. So, so th- that, that kind of thing did happen. And, and again, you, you, you think that was, if you start to think that was sort of the normative way things went, um, then you could have this picture that, uh, that Christianity was just like literally overtaking, uh, the Roman empire. And I think there was probably instances of that, but, um, yeah, the, the, I kind of have a tendency to think that the Corinthian church, if they were, if they were assembling together, if they had occasions where they were coming sort of all together, it might not look too dissimilar from what we see on a Sunday morning, a typical Sunday morning. Uh, maybe, maybe a little larger, maybe a little smaller. We don't really know, but not, not some big mega church, um, kind of thing. As far as it's like feeling full of themselves, what we're going to find in this letter is that, uh, the Corinthian church is classically known as a very, very gifted church. Um, and so we'll, there's, we'll, we'll be looking at that in the weeks to come, but there's a lot of, a lot of benefit to that. Uh, the, 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 the people that were composing this thing called the body of Christ there in Corinth, uh, were they were they were living out and expressing the gifts that God had given them, what we might call spiritual gifts, and so they were all uh, contributing to sort of the life of the church in various ways. Uh, in fact, in Corinthians, we 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 have these pretty long lists of gifts uh, that are used to um, to help kind of describe what the functioning body of Christ actually looks like, and so. Were they feeling full of themselves? Uh, yes, I think they were. Right. This is you fast forward to First Corinthians thirteen, right? What we the, what we call the love chapter of the Bible, right? It's all about love, and that's the reason why that's there is because Paul is trying to demonstrate that the church had sort of departed from the centrality of of demonstrating love, love for one another and love for others, and instead were sort of making a show of themselves, right? A lot yeah. of them were kind of in it. Yeah, we were talking about 1 Corinthians 13 and staff meeting, and the thing that stood out to me the most was love is not boastful, and that theme just continues to carry throughout um, You know, this book. We see it in the first chapter, we see it in the 13th chapter, and in places in between that Paul is really quick to call out their arrogance, their pride, their you know, their boastfulness. He doesn't want to see that in the church because it's not about the people. It's about the savior, but God uses the people. So it's a very interesting 
perspective and a very fine line to walk, I think, between walking in your giftedness, but also walking humbly in it. Yeah. Because it's like, what is the point of the gift? Right. Right. Is, is the point of the gift to to demonstrate, you know, just how how spiritual you are? I mean, that's that's sort of what was happening. Um, a person's spirituality was sort of being evaluated based on their their giftedness and gifts were being compared and contrasted with one another. So it's like, who's got the better gift? And I think that's Paul. I think that's why Paul uh, in the introduction of first Corinthians 13 says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way, right? Which is the way of love. And in fact, that without love, any of the gifts, any, 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 particular talent, spiritual gift, whatever you want to call it, that's being expressed. If it's not done within the context of love, it's actually, um, it, it, it's counterproductive you yeah. know, to what God wants to do in people's lives. Well, and one thing that we notice too, is that, and I know we're not on first Corinthians 13, but it's sandwiched between these two long discourses where Paul talks about the gifts. It's like, we're going to talk about this. It's important, but don't forget the most important piece of this is love. And then he continues on. And so just refocusing and recentering them on, first of all, anything you have is from Christ. And second of all, if it's not done in love, then what's the point? Right. Uh, I did like uh, what you, uh, so, uh, again, just kind of trying to remember um, a little from what I did get to hear, uh, the way you were helping um, helping us to understand uh, you know, why Paul was reminding them from where they came, right? Because, you know, had they actually, had they departed from uh, an acknowledgement of really just how insignificant they were uh, before before God found them and began to use them. And, and so that also reminds us that our giftedness is not a credit to ourselves, right? right? If we see our gifts as something that God has uh, vested in us uh, for the purposes of building and expanding his kingdom, then it's it's just not it's not to my credit, right? If if I if I'm gifted in this one area, uh, you know there is a there is a tendency for people to you know perhaps you know applaud and congratulate for what 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 things may be happening yeah. um, as that gift is being expressed. But we, we just always have to remember that like everything's supposed to point back to Christ, right? It's yeah. all supposed to point back to, uh, to the cross. And, um, again, it's about, it's about expanding the kingdom of God, not expanding the kingdom of, uh, the individual, which unfortunately, when we want to talk about a messy church, like there's, there's a lot of times where, uh, it has been the building of a personal empire that has been, uh, the sort of the central theme for a community of faith. And when that happens, there may be a measure measure of success that occurs for a while, but eventually it's going to crumble because the foundation is not very, very good. Yeah. And that's one thing that I really respect about how you have navigated this as the lead pastor. You know, you're up there preaching week after week and people come up and say, hey, that was a great one. And one thing that you said to us and probably other people is, don't just tell me it was a great sermon. Tell me how God is using, you know, his word to transform your life. And so I just think that's something that probably the Corinthians could have heard a little bit more too, is it's, yes, God is using you, but how is he using you to draw people to himself? Hmm. All right. Uh, second question. Can you share a time in your life when you felt called by God to do something, but struggled to act upon it or felt fearful? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think 
just the whole stepping into full-time ministry is a little terrifying, uh, especially since, you know, I, I know from a younger age, you knew this is what God was calling you to do. But for me, it was a little bit older and I had, <laughs> I say that like I'm old, it was, I was 22. Um, but in that I had a plan mapped out for my life and it did not include moving back to my hometown and pursuing ministry full-time. And so, uh, that was definitely a a place where I struggled for a while, um, you know, even even after coming back, being here and knowing that this was probably my future is Curtis Lake Church. And for a while, that was tough because, you know, we dream of grandeur. We dream of all these things. And over time, the Lord has just kind of reminded me over and over again that, like, sure, there are big stages and there are massive platforms, but every person is valuable to me. And so where I've planted you, I want you to just invest. And so while I was maybe fearful of being stuck here long-term, well, I'm just being honest, um, (laughs) is something that I'm so, so thankful for now. And knowing that I get to be a part of what God is doing here has just really helped reshape even how I approach ministry now. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it's uh, I think it's also important. I mean, we certainly have um, we all have kind of a like a big sense, sort of this meta sense of what does it mean that I'm called by God to do or to be something. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you and I are sitting here as people that are called into full time ministry, uh, and so that so that's a thing. But like, I, I wouldn't want it to be lost on. Uh, on anybody listening to this that like that's all that it's about right like that this isn't just about the okay you know uh, is everybody in our church are they struggling with the call to say yes or no to going on the mission field or going in a full-time ministry you know when i when i hear what's being expressed by this question it's it's um we are if we actually believe that living the christian life is about what Paul would describe as walking in the spirit, right? Which is this, it's this continuous sort of mode or way of being. It's not just about, uh, you know, a fraction of our lives as if, you know, we have these segments uh, of our lives, but rather my whole life, everywhere I go, everything that I do, every moment that I spend, alone or with others like they're they're they all fall within um the realm of of walking in the spirit right like i'm not i'm not supposed to behave differently in the marketplace than i do in the sanctuary right right at church you know i'm I'm not supposed to i'm not supposed to be a you know appear to be a good christian fellow uh, on Sunday morning when I'm standing among other worshipers, but then when I'm sitting at a table at a restaurant, uh, I, you know, I'm, um, I'm insolent and, and, and mean and nasty because, you know, I'm not being served the way I want to be served. And so I'm, I'm harsh to my, uh, to the, to the person that's waiting on our table or, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, there, there, there really shouldn't be this dichotomy of, um, the way my life is being expressed, right. To walk in the spirit means wherever I find myself, I, my life needs to be lived in attunement to to God and, and to what He is calling me to do. And so, so in doing that, it, what we're going to experience are these moments where where God is calling us to do something. And so, you know, I think about this as, and if I could rephrase the question, you know, can you share a time in your life when you felt 
called by God to be obedient, Mm. but struggled to act upon it or felt fearful. Because I think those encounters occur all the time. Right. Right. So uh, if I were, if I were, if I were, standing like on the platform and preaching on Sunday, I might, I might, I might ask, you know, people to consider, um, how they're, how they're stewarding, stewarding their money. Like, let's just say, I don't, don't want to get into a big conversation about tithing, but let's just, for the sake of argument, let's just say that, that, uh, tithing is a matter of obedience. Right. And I, and I get like, you know, people can have different takes on this, but just for, for purposes of this conversation, that as a as a follower of Christ and as a member of a church body, uh, there's there's an obligation on me to give ten percent of the first of my income to the work of God's kingdom, like to to give it to the local church. Now I know that a lot of people would, if if they were if they were encountering sort of that teaching and were having to engage with, okay. Do I do I do that or do I do do I not do that? That for a lot of people that'd be a matter of great struggle, yeah. right? This 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 matter of obedience. It's like what ten percent, you know. Um, so so somebody could perhaps give that kind of example. I mean, I'd say that yeah. I mean, I I, I think I I think I miss the mark a lot <laughs> uh, because. There's there's times where like I, I feel like God maybe gives me impresses on me to do something or to say something and then I don't do it mm. you know and and for me it's why do I not act upon it well you know sometimes the the, the fearfulness for me might be you know is this is God really lead is 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 God asking me to do this or leading me to do this or is this just something that I'm sort of inventing in my own mind and like I try to you know or sometimes I just sort of wish it away until it's not there anymore. And there's, there's, there have been times where, you know, a miss, a, an opportunity was there. I didn't seize it. And I recognized after the moment has passed and it was too late to like to, to seize it, like it was gone. And so, um, I mean, I'm trying, I'm trying to be more, more sensitive to the, like the, those little, sort of urges that I, I think are, um, you know, not just, not just coming out of myself, but, you know, a lot of times coming from, from God and from, you know, his leading. Yeah. Well, and I think too, um, you know, just through conversations I've had with different people and what I've experienced in my own life is there's often something just more attractive about, you know, pursuing the calling that God's put on your life when it's, outside of your home, but inside your home, when you're comfortable with people or when you're around the people you're most comfortable with, it's not necessarily that you're fearful, uh, to do what God's called you to do in your home, but maybe struggle with it. So for me, you know, being married, being a mom, there are things that God has called me to do within my home to serve my family. And I struggle with those things sometimes, you know, I struggle with the humility to just keep picking up toy after toy after toy or to switch the laundry or to, you know, whatever it might be. Um, as part of my calling to serve my family, I should be obedient in that, but 
it's often harder because it's at home and I'm comfortable and I, I'm tired. I don't want to do it. Whereas if I go to someone else's home, it seems easier. And so I think this is just another thing that if we're continually walking in the spirit, it should, it should transcend wherever we are. Like you said, it shouldn't matter if we're in someone else's home, if we're on a mission trip, you know, it's easy to serve people there and to do things, these mundane tasks that you wouldn't want to do at home, uh, or you would struggle to do at home. Um, but really asking the Lord to reveal your calling in your whole life in every area of your life, whether that's, you know, doing the dishes or preaching a sermon, it shouldn't matter. We should be obedient to what the Lord has placed in our lives in front of us to serve him and others. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that, yeah, I think there's the life of being a disciple of Jesus is going to provide us with all kinds of occasions where, you know, we have an opportunity to, to listen and obey or, or to not. And, um, like the more that we can just like obedience, I think is a, it's a representation of, of our actual faith, right? We could talk about faith all the time and how much faith we have, but obedience is going to be the expression of, right. Of the reality of that faith. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm being disobedient, it's, it's because my, there's, there's something lacking in my faith, whether it's in a moment or it is a more systemic problem that, that I need to grow in. Yeah. Uh, and so, just looking for you know opportunities when uh, for the for the purposes of our of our church community um, I'd say you know when we're when we're gathered together and we're we're looking at God's word and and trying to assimilate what he is teaching us what he's expressing to us through that word there may be times where you know we feel the call or the urge to do something, to change something, to initiate something. It's so easy to just get up and walk away from that, mm-hmm. to let that moment pass. And yeah. I, I would just, when we do that, and especially as we, if we make a habit of doing that, we're going to find ourselves becoming more and more calloused uh, and less able to actually hear. Uh, we hear, we, we just, um, we describe, um, we describe the voice of God as being a still small voice. Sometimes it's like, it's just this faint, like barely like, what was that again? You know, kind of, um, voice that speaks to us. Uh, people wonder, you know, why doesn't God just write what he wants in the clouds or, you know, like show me a sign or give and It's like, well, because he doesn't right. right. Because what God has called us to is a life of faith. And mm-hmm. if we, if, if every time, God wanted us to do something. He showed us in an inarguable way. Um, then there would never, we'd never get to exercise our faith muscles. Right. Right. And so our faith would actually atrophy. We would only be relying on the things that we see with our eyes and hear with our ears. But the life of faith, it does hinge on uh, obeying what we can't, see and, and sometimes what we don't understand right it's taking a step forward and being obedient to that still small voice and what does happen is as we get more attuned to that still small voice all of a sudden it starts to actually get a little louder yeah uh, as opposed to more and more quiet 
So Yeah, well, and I think that leads right into the next question um, being what is the difference between sanctification and justification? Mm-hmm. And so we talked a lot about sanctification on Sunday um, with just this being a pursuit of becoming more like Jesus, being with and becoming more like him. Um, and so just if you want to kind of define those, the differentiation between the two. Oh, you want me to do yeah, that? Yeah, I do. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Vocabulary lesson. Um, yeah. So, I mean, these are two words that we use uh, in talking through the doctrine of salvation. Uh, and so we would we would start with justification. Mm-hmm. So justification carries with it the idea that that we are, um, first of all, in a state of being unjustified, right? So we have, uh, we have this problem of sin, which we have inherited, which is universal to every person. Uh, and so, so sin is a, um, a, a, a kind of disease, uh, with that we are born with and born into, right? And so, uh, we are, it makes us capable of committing sin, which we happily do. Uh, over the course of our lives, and because of that sin, we actually—that's—that's that's why in a uh, what we might describe almost as a, a legal sense, uh, are we're unjustified. Uh, we we stand before God guilty, yeah, right, guilty because of our sin. Uh, so justification is the process by which uh, our that that problem of sin is remedied. Mm. Uh, we understand that through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, um, we who exercise faith in that work uh, and accept and embrace it as a gift that God has given to us, um, we are then justified. So where before our ledgers uh, were marked all in red, mm-hmm. right? Like that there was a deficit mm-hmm. that we uh, have before God, um, the, the, the balance is paid for and we are able to stand before God again, in a legal sense as, as being innocent, right? We're justified through, um, the blood of Christ. And then sanctification is, it's the, it's, it's a couple of things. Um, it is initially at the point of justification, it is a setting apart, right? So when I, when I, put my faith in Jesus, then I was justified before God and I was sanctified in the sense that I was set apart from the world from which I came and set apart for a purpose um, that, that he would, you know, over the course of my life, make, um, um, make real to me, right? So he set me apart for a purpose. Uh, and so there's a there's a sense in which that is this kind of initial and immediate uh, thing that happens to a person who becomes a Christian. But then it also describes an ongoing process that actually takes us through the rest of our lives where God is continuing to, um, and, and, and people who have, have grown in their faith might describe this process where they are they are becoming less attached to the world and the world is losing its attachment to the person and they're 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 coming more into um living in the realm and the kingdom of Jesus right and so that's that's this this drawing away from the world and unto God 
uh, could be, you know, described as this process of sanctification. Again, that like, there's just, there's no end to it. It's something that we're going to experience for the rest of our lives. Yeah. I think those are the two major points and that Paul points out as well is it all, all this happens through Christ, not on our own power or ability. And so just continually remembering that, you know, it's through him that we receive justification and sanctification and righteousness and redemption and we're declared not guilty, right? So first of all, it's through him. And then second of all, sanctification, it's a lifelong pursuit. It's not like getting a college degree. (laughs) You know, you go to school for four years, you graduate, great, you're sanctified. Like, no, that's not, it's, it's a continual pursuit of, of Jesus, of living like him, being like him and, and becoming like he is. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember too, that they are, they are things that God does in our lives. Right. Right. So what we tend to want to do with our, with our sin and our failure is to justify ourselves, right? You ever heard of self-justification? You get caught having done something and, 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 you know, or prior to doing something that you want to do that, you know, you shouldn't do. We have a tendency to to justify ourselves. I'm really good at justifying Amazon purchases. Yes, right. right. <laughs> like, uh, I can, I, I've got seven different reasons that I, you know, ought to buy this. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we, we self-justify, self-justify, but that's, that's not the kind of justification we're talking about. We're talking about, and I like what you said, you know, this, there's a sense in which God declares us as not guilty mm-hmm. as we stand before him. And of course, um, sanctification is not something we can do on our own. Right. I can't, I can't, I can't separate myself. What I can do is I can grow in obedience to what God is calling me to do. And in, in doing that, um, I am, I am, you know, I'm becoming sort of more, more sanctified, uh, before God. So good. Uh, all right. Last question. How can we lovingly and humbly encourage our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who seem to be stagnant in their pursuit of the Lord? Um, I don't know who planted this question, but thank you. I'd say we don't lovingly and humbly do it at all. We just do it. right? (laughs) Well, when I read this question, I just, I think about, I, I live in illustration. So I think about when you find a restaurant that you really, really love, you just tell everyone about it and it creates in them a curiosity to find out what the hype is all about. Right. And so I just think our pursuit of Jesus is so similar in that when we are fully invested in pursuing him, it will spill out of us the things that we're learning and how we're seeing him move. And it should create a curiosity, especially among fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who have surrendered their lives to Jesus to, again, remember the goodness of God. And when we are are so excited about it. That curiosity, I think is one of the biggest things, you know, we're not going to help people. Like you said, we're not just going to tell people grow in your faith or get, get right with God. Right. But when we can model this vibrant relationship with God, again, through obedience, not through anything that we have, you know, we can take credit for it hopefully will inspire and, and instigate this curiosity for others to want to experience that and in, in turn, you know, pursue him more. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, one thing, as I read this question, one thing I would caution us uh, against is just being too quick to uh, assess whether someone is being stagnant. Right. And I, and I don't mean that they're, that we're not smart enough uh, and observant enough to, to notice, you know, whether someone seems to be, you know, growing or pursuing, you know, actually pursuing the Lord. I mean, there, there are sometimes people provide very, very clear indicators that they're doing something other than pursuing the Lord. Right. Um, and that, I think the, the posture that we should take when we observe something like that is like, that should break our hearts. Right. Because of the, the, the richness um, of what it means and the blessing that follows really pursuing God with all of our hearts. And so when, when a, what we would call a brother or sister, a member of our family is doing something other than that, uh, meaning they are, they're settling, they're settling for a, a, a kind of life that is actually inferior to the life God has called us to, then that's, that's really sad. And that, that should break our hearts. Uh, Unfortunately, we can't remedy it. Like we, I, I can't snap somebody out of that. Most time, I mean, there are, there may be occasions, and there may be certain kinds of relationships that you know that that, that God will leverage um, because He does call us as as a as a community and as a family. If we're actually living out that community properly, uh, we will have people in our lives that can say things to us. Right that maybe other people couldn't, right? There are, there are, there are people in my life that could, that could, um, you know, if I was being a real knucklehead, uh, you know, about something that they could, they could call me out on that. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, hopefully like there's enough, uh, I have enough respect for that person, um, to hear the criticism and to, uh, to consider it, yeah. right. To like, to be humble enough to actually, um, hear what's being expressed there. Right. Uh, assuming, okay, this person who said, you know, something that hurts me, right. That uh, it's not what I wanted to hear. Uh, but they have, they've said, and, and this person is somebody that I, that I love, that I trust. Um, so I, I need to be humble enough to hear what that person is saying and then, uh, and then work through that with God, like go through the process of, um, of bringing that before God. Uh, you know, I think of the, we used to, we used to sing one of these Psalms, uh, as a song, like as a worship song in church, you know, but, um, asking God, like, see if there's any wicked way in me, mm-hmm. right? The psalmist cries out to God, creating me a clean heart, right? Like, search me, oh God, know my heart today. See if there's any wicked way in me, right? Because sometimes I'm blind to what wickedness may actually lay in me. And so I, I need what I actually need. And this is why community is so important because yes, I need, I need to be attuned to what, what God might convict me of and speak to me. But sometimes, sometimes let's be honest, we're a little too hard headed even for that. And so we need a community of people around us again, that we, that we love, that we trust who can, who can speak lovingly, but also truthfully to us 
um, so that we can not just continue to persist in whatever this, this area of weakness is or persist in this blindness, but actually find healing for that through God's grace and through the help and support of these people that love us. Yeah, I think the hard part in this comes when you're the one having the tough conversation and the person isn't ready to receive it or can't receive it. And it's hard in that moment not to feel like you have failed or like you, because we can easily put ourselves in the role of savior of I'm, I see this person, you know, being stagnant or walking away or doing something that's not healthy. I'm going to go in and, you know, have this conversation in love and then you know, it's going to all go great. And it doesn't always go great. Those conversations, they're messy. Like that's why we're in this series, my messy church, because it's not perfectly tied up with a bow, but whether it's in conversations or just how we're living our lives, like we have to be so careful to remember that it's the Lord working in hearts. And again, I feel like a broken record, but he, he invites us, he chooses us to, you know, be his quote hands and feet. Um, but it's not up to us to save anyone. And so I think remembering that is is twofold, right? It keeps us humble, but it also protects us from heartache that is unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, one final thing I'd say about this is that there is a reality that, um, that we, can, we can become stagnant in pursuing the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we should... We should each exercise some caution uh, for ourselves yeah. in this area. It's how how is the health uh, of my soul? How is my relationship with God? Am I am I just have I been kind of in this one place and not really moving forward? Which is different from I mean, if you pursue a relationship with God, there are going to be times where there's going to be times where it seems like God is very very far from you. Um, there's going to be times where it feels maybe even like he's abandoned you. Right. And you don't, you don't always have this feeling of elation or excitement, um, that, that you think you'd have as a, as a necessary component of, man, I I thought I was, thought I was doing all the right things, you know, I'm doing my best to try to be as obedient as I can and as, uh, and as involved as I can, and uh, um, uh, I'm praying, I'm reading God's word. I'm like I'm doing all the things that have been prescribed to me. It's like why, why do I feel like I'm just not getting any closer to God? And when we experience that, we have to just we have to keep going. Mm-hmm. We have to we have those are those are actually moments of incredible growth where. Again, if you think about the way faith works, these are opportunities for us to 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 grow in um, in the realm of the the unseen, um, to to put our trust in in something that maybe doesn't even make sense, right? And so there's that there there are times where we're going to have that. However, stagnation is. That's just different. Stagnation is, well, I'm not, I've, I've, I developed a callousness Mm -hmm. in my love for Jesus. Mm -hmm. 
and it'll it'll manifest in certain ways like let's say let's say you used to have a fairly healthy prayer life and devotional life mm-hmm. and all of a sudden those kind of anchors in your routine have sort of fallen by the wayside and so they're happening less and less until it comes to a point where they're not happening at all if you find yourself um becoming less emotionally attached to the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not an exciting notion for you to, to go to church and to worship and to see uh, and to encourage and to be encouraged by other believers or uh, to, to worship corporately or uh, to be in a space where God's word is being proclaimed, right? Like, like those things aren't yeah. exciting you anymore. Uh, you know, okay, is this just is this just a, a spiritually dry season for me, or am I actually becoming stagnant? Um, if you find yourself compromising in areas of your life where you know you never would have compromised there before, is that indicative of a kind of a departing from pursuing the Lord? And uh, if that's the case, if there's stagnation there. Um, I wonder what our, our pastor of worship and discipleship would would recommend uh, to help maybe kickstart um, and help a person kind of like, you know, get the paddles on and yeah. and like, let's resuscitate this thing. Yeah. Well, I think that it's not hopeless. It's not hopeless right? um, unless you allow the shame that you begin to feel take over. And I think that's a really, really big piece of this is acknowledging that you have had times where it's been hard to follow Jesus. Like it, I've had times where it's been hard to carve out that time for prayer. I mean, I'm raising three young kids, a young adult, I'm married, I work full time. Like there's a lot of reasons why I could say, I don't have time to pray today. Right. And so that's a, that's a temptation for all of us and a reality for all of us. And I think the number one thing is like, don't let the shame of I'm going to use an old, old word backsliding, right? Stop you from returning to what you know is healthy for your soul. Uh, and so one of my favorite, again, I love illustrations for this is every time you eat a meal, it's not the most memorable meal you've ever eaten right? Sometimes you just show up to eat the meal because you are hungry and your body needs sustenance. And so I think it's easy to become stagnant when we don't feel the hype or the excitement all the time. And I think there's something in the discipline of spending time with Jesus and acknowledging that just like not every meal is going to be the most memorable, every quiet time isn't going to spark revival. There is just something about that consistency and dedication and devotion to showing up and inviting the Lord to speak. And sometimes it will be the most incredible meal you have ever experienced. And you will go around telling everyone about it, kind of like we talked about earlier. And sometimes it will be just enough to get you through to the next time. And so I think for someone who's feeling stagnant, who's able to acknowledge it, I think the first thing to recognize is that's great that you can see that you aren't at a place where you're so calloused that you just don't see it and you don't care. And so if you're watching this or listening to this and you're feeling like, wow, that that's me, I've compromised or I've, I've, you know, I'm not as excited to go to church and I can see that that's 
really incredible that you have that ability to see it. And so it's like you said, it's not hopeless. Um, things that I would encourage if you're feeling like you're in this way is, is to show up, to be disciplined, to show up, to show up in your quiet time. And I just want to speak for a second to whoever taught you that your quiet time has to be at 6 a.m. with a candle lit and your Bible open and your quiet. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> your quiet time is that time where you get to be with God, with the reading of his word, with, you know, prayer. And it, it can look different and unique for everyone. And so really ask the Lord to reveal places and, and areas and times in your life where you can be quiet with him. I shared on Sunday during first service that I have a friend who literally her prayer time is in the shower because it's the only time that her kids don't bother her. It's the only uninterrupted time that she can have with the Lord. And I just think that's so beautiful that, you know, whatever it takes, even if it's kneeling in the shower to surrender my day to the Lord, like I'm going to do that. And so showing up for your quiet times, showing up in the life of the church, you know, it's really hard to get excited about something that you're not connected to. It's really hard to get excited about something that you don't feel like you have ownership in. And so if you're feeling like, man, I just, I don't know, Sunday morning, I'm not really getting much out of it. What is there for me? I want to encourage you to maybe shift your perspective a little bit and say, you know, how can I serve? And when you start to own those places, when you start to see that your spiritual life is really helping to influence another, there's just, there's a, there's an accountability piece to that that says, I don't want to show up empty. I want to show up full so that I can serve people well. Um, and, and then the third piece of showing up is if your community isn't here, you're not going to want to be here. And so not saying that like only talk to people who go to church, but are you investing in the people sitting around you? Are you investing in a small group that you may or may not have, um, you know, shown up for, or have you signed up for a small group several times and never once shown up, um, for whatever reason. And, and I can say that because it happens all the time is we get really excited to participate and, and we have people sign up for groups. I mean, our sign up rate is incredible sometimes, whereas our show up rate isn't as incredible because when you hear about it, it sounds really great, but then life gets in the way. And so just to fight against that stagnation is, is push yourself out of your comfort zone. Show up when you don't want to. Show up when it's inconvenient. Show up when you'd rather be doing something else because those are the things that we can do. And then the other part of it is remembering that following Jesus, like he has invited us to be in relationship with him. He has extended that hand first. And so we don't have to feel like we can power, we have to power through. We can simply surrender and say, Jesus, I need your help right now and invite others to speak into your life. So in the same way that speaking into others' lives, like you had mentioned, when you're in that community, I really think that that's powerful that, um, you know, there, I have friends that have spoken into my life when I'm discouraged or when I feel that God is distant and they've done so in a loving way. And that's really helped me move past that hurdle of feeling stagnant. So community is vital. Um, discipline is vital. Accountability is vital for fighting against this feeling stagnant in your pursuit of the Lord. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I love the, I love the idea of like stepping out of your comfort zone and I'm going to take a risk here. Okay. Um, hopefully Renee is not listening to this. Oh but, boy. <clears throat> so we were, 
in this trip to Niagara Falls. Um, so the, we, we got there kind of toward the afternoon evening and it was really, really cold, really windy and raining sideways. And so the idea of like going out was, uh, didn't, didn't sound like a lot of fun, but the, the, the initial idea was we're going to spend a little time on the American side. And then the next day we're going to go over to the Canadian side. Cause you have to go to the Canadian you side do. to see Niagara Falls apparently. Um, which is true in case you don't listen to the rest of this, but, um, so found out that there was some fireworks going on. So we went out about, you know, nine 30 at night and we, we went to where the falls, um, on the American side where the falls are and you sort of like looking at a river and seeing it just kind of spill off. And that's, that's about it. It's like, and you can kind of hear it, but there's, there's, it's not much to look at, but the fireworks were great. So anyway, the next day, uh, we go over to the Canadian side again, still much colder than we cared for it to be. Um, but we, you know, we, we parked the car and we walked toward, uh, where the falls are and, and there we are, you know, kind of looking at, looking at all the sites and yes, in fact, it's a much better view of the falls, but you're still pretty removed from that. That's a distance. Uh, but we're looking down into the bowl, like where the, all the falls fall into. And, uh, both the Americans and the Canadians have these boats that go out and they basically just bring you out really, really close to where the water is falling. And, you know, everybody's got ponchos on cause you get soaking wet. So I said to Renee, I want to do that. And she said, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and uh, over the course of the day, you know, multiple times, you know, I said, I want to do that. And, you know, and she didn't want to do that. And so I, I said, well, all right, well, then you can wait up here and I'll, I'm, I, I want to go do that. <laughs> uh, and and it, fortunately, the, the temperature got to like this bearable point where she's like, all right, I'll, let's do it. And so we, we went, we got on the boat and like that made all the difference that that little that little thing that we kind of stepped out into it just it totally changed you know i mean i would have if we had not done that i think i would have come back home feeling like eh. what's the hype yeah <laughs> like you know I, I mean spoiler alert it's not as tall yeah as you might have thought you know it's it i'm not saying that there aren't it's not cool. Like it's kind of, it's kind of cool, but it, it, it's cool factor. Actually the whole dimension of that cool factor, because after we did the boat ride and then, and then, you know, so like, sure enough. Yeah. The boat brings us out and you know, you end up in this frenzied state. Just, it feels like you're in the worst ocean storm that you, like all of a sudden you can't see. You're feeling the power of the water. It's just a totally different perspective to be there under the falls. And then when the boat parked, we got off and there's like this little thing called the crow's nest. Um, uh, so this is actually on the American side, you know, for anybody that's going to follow this advice. So after you get off the mate of the mist, which is the American boat, there's this thing called the crow's nest, which we could have totally missed, but we walked up, I don't know, 40,000 steps or something like that. And we get to this place where you actually are as, as, as close to being under the falls as I think as you can get. And so the water is just, you know, again, just kind of splashing all over you and you really uh, get to experience it from a completely different dimension. And we come down from there, you know, clothes ruined, shoes ruined, soaking wet, like weren't, was not planning for any of that to happen. But it's like we experienced something mm-hmm. and it was really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And then when we got back up 
to the upper level where now you're looking down into the bowl again and you're looking at the falls. We actually, I, I mean, I probably shouldn't speak for her, but all of a sudden my, my whole perspective on everything was very, very different. Yeah. It, it changed it. And it, when I, now when I went home, like I felt like I experienced something. It was no longer, eh, you know, yeah, it was okay. It was, that was pretty, that was pretty cool. And that never would have happened if we hadn't, gone and moved beyond you know for me it was a little bit of discomfort for Renee it was uh, anybody knows Renee she hates the cold so um for her it was a it was a it was a lot of potential discomfort and you know we go and do it and it's like oh I wouldn't have traded that for anything now did she feel the same way I think so yeah she was yeah oh yeah but I mean that's that's sort of the point is like we we got done and we were both so glad that we had done it and can't imagine like having just you know, it, we wouldn't have known if right. you had never done it. You know, and I think this, 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 the, the, the life of faith that Jesus calls us to live can potentially be the most dramatic and exciting thing um, that will ever that could ever possibly define our lives. And what we tend to do is we settle for just this tiny, tiny little sliver. This little, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna look at the falls from the observation deck. And that's it. And you know what you're going to get out of that is you're going to get a view from the observation deck. It's a big difference between that and having the water sort of rush over you, like, and feeling the, the, the deeper and more significant, um, meaning of what it is to follow Jesus. And and I'm not saying like, like I, like I've nailed (laughs) discipleship. Uh, I, I, I think you know, there's a long way for me to go. There's a long way for all of us to go mm-hmm. into really pressing into all that Jesus is calling us into. And so, um, yeah. So that's how I would humbly and lovingly encourage my fellow brothers and sisters who seem to be stagnant in their pursuit of the Lord. Say, I'm going to do it and you can choose to come with me or not. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think just to close this out, the fact that you were able to do it together was a big piece of it, right? Because you might have gone on your own and experienced this incredible thing and then tried to describe it to Renee and she wouldn't have been able to appreciate. Yeah. She'd have been like, you're soaking wet and That's freezing disgusting. cold. Yeah. Right. That sounds terrible. <laughs> and, and if she had gone alone, she never would have experienced it at all. Right. She would have been able to talk about how beautiful it was and you know, the fireworks were cool, but like you said, she would be missing out on that experience. But because you went together you both got to experience this incredible thing. You get to bring it back together. And so when you want to talk about, oh man, do you remember when we went into the crow's nest and we felt, you know, oh yeah, that was incredible, right? And the same thing is with our relationship with Jesus is going at it alone. You're just never going to experience or be able to share that with someone else. And so I think just that, that, pointing towards community, pointing towards the being connected to the church, pointing towards, you know, <laughs> shameless plug, being in a small group, doing life with people and growing together. It just has so much more significance and meaning because you're not just trying to explain to somebody else. You're actually experiencing it with them. Yeah. Good. All right. Good stuff. Cool. Yeah. Thank you again. Um, thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you next week. Sounds good. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of My Messy Church. 
If you haven't done so yet, be sure to head to your app store and download the Curtis Lake Church app for easy access to all of our content. Thank you so much for joining us, and we can't wait to be with you next week.